0: All right. Good morning. Wow, what a special morning, huh? <laughs> Whew, man, that was like a lot of mornings built into one. That was super special. Uh, first of all, I do want to uh, also welcome you guys, as Chad did earlier, if you're here for the first time. We're honored that you would join us for the super special Sunday that we have together. And I hope you're really blessed by it. hope you just feel at home and you can just relax and enjoy the time here with us. Uh, My name is John Larson, and I'm one of four pastors of this church family. And I don't know about you guys, but I love VBS. I I got a slide here. As part of the shenanigans here this week, uh, enjoying time in the backyards. I love getting to see really the whole church family come together, just like this morning. Love seeing the adults get to team up and put their faith and their energy towards things. I love getting to see the music team bring their passion and uh, their, their dance moves and their excitement uh, is so awesome to see you guys do that. And maybe even the cherry on top, the kids. I love getting to sit down side by side with these kids this week and uh, see them get to grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for Him. So this has been a super awesome week and um, it's been great. You noticed, if you can see any of this on stage... The theme of this year was games, specifically board games. I don't know if you guys like board games a lot. Uh, we are using the theme of board games to help us understand the, the journey of faith, the journey of life. I like great games growing up. My favorite one as a young kid, it's like when I was elementary school. Any of you elementary school in here? My favorite game in elementary school was Candyland. remember that one? All those twists and turns. You got all those different sugary treats you're going to get to. You get a fast pass to the end. I love that game. Uh, When I was older, more like high school age, my favorite game was Monopoly. And in fact, I remember uh, a specific time playing it with my siblings. It uh, It was in the winter and a big snowstorm came in. Enough that they canceled school last minute. And so we didn't have any work to do, we got to eat food, and we had enough time to actually finish the Monopoly game. From beginning to end, sitting down with all those strategic trades and hotels and the twists and turns of the game, uh, it was just like a little pre-taste of heaven in a way, (laughs) minus the fighting. (laughs) Uh, Board games have been on the rise, actually. Uh, Two big jumps in board games have happened in the last decade. One was roughly about 10 years ago, and people think due to internet fatigue or technology fatigue, there was an increase in interest worldwide in board games, because there's only so much that you can just do by yourself looking at a screen or a video game. So you need time across the table from someone taking a break from the screen. There was also a jump in board game sales uh, three years ago. you remember that's when we had the Um, pandemic began and so a lot of people whether it was puzzles or board games found themselves with those in their household getting to play some of those games that they had dusted off the shelves board games in a way are a good analogy for life in some ways you get to see how people live life by the way they play a board game are they a risk taker are they conservative do they fight will they cheat all that kind of stuff And in fact in the history of games there have been some interesting examples of those kind of values of life that show up in games. For instance, I'll show you one you won't recognize at first but you will by the end. This is an ancient game from India here on the left side of the screen. And it's made up of virtues which are represented by ladders. So virtues, good characteristics in life in which you advance. Uh, and also vices, which were represented by the snakes, in which you go backwards. Um, Vices like vanity, vulgarity, theft, lying. The game was brought to the UK in 1890, and it was renamed and repurposed as Snakes and Ladders. I think you see where this is going. By the time it landed here in the United States, 1934, Milton Bradley... You've got chutes and ladders, which you're probably familiar with today, which is kind of based on similar ideas. Don't, don't take the candy from the candy jar, all that kind of stuff. Or another example like this one. This game, uh, also from the UK, is called Mansion of Happiness, 1843. And it's got the same idea. You get rewarded for certain virtuous things that you do, and you go backwards if you do vices, things that are not moral Well, that game came to the U.S., just like chutes and ladders, and a young entrepreneur wanted to improve upon it and make it familiar for Americans, and so he created the checkered game of life. His name was Milton Milton Bradley. It was his first game of many. Fast forward 100 years later, it's 1959, and the company says, we need to make a new game. And so they got the best game makers of the time. They came out from, like, Hollywood area. They put their brains together in a room, and one of the guys went into the back room, and he just started sifting through old stuff. And he discovered this game, the checkered game of life, and thought, this is kind of interesting. It had gone out of print. No one liked to play it anymore. He dusted it off. He used a little bit of the 1960s Technicolor and 3D board game, and he created none other than the game of life, with its twists and turns, which teaches you that the goal of life is to be financially wealthy. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It goes down to the very end. This is the 1960s edition. It's hard to read, but I'll tell you what it says. It says the day of reckoning, and you get one of two choices. If you don't have enough money, then you will retire bankrupt as a philosopher. (laughs) I didn't make this up, folks. Or you move on, you become a millionaire tycoon. Through the twists and turns of life, um, that was the goal of the game of life. Like board games, life has a lot of surprising twists and turns, doesn't it? Our wrongdoings can leave us feeling like we've taken one step forward and then two steps back. What we're gonna do this morning is not talk about board games anymore but we're going to talk about the Bible. And we're going to look at Peter and one of his encounters with Jesus Christ and um, discover the winning path, both for life now, but also life forever. We're going to discover that the goal is not actually even morality. The goal is not money either. The goal or the secret sauce of this game is trust. That's the secret sauce. So Uh, How about we say a prayer and then I'm going to have you grab the Bible in front of you and we're going to unpack a story from the Bible. How about you bow your heads with me, let's pray together. Well, King Jesus, thank you for this celebratory morning. What a fun time to be together. I just imagine what would it have been like to be at that wedding with you, the wedding at Cana when you turned water into wine and you kept the good times going. We can't wait to join you, Jesus, at that wedding of the lamb when we are gonna get the good times going for eternity. And there won't be any more tears, no more twists and turns, no more sorrow, no more death, but just the pure joy of life with you. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see amazing things in your word. Help us to understand the good news this morning. Help each one of us walk away uh, with something fresh, a fresh insight about truth and life and how to win. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's your page number, it's up here, so go ahead, grab that Bible in front of you, even if you're not familiar with it. Uh, This page number will tell you where we're at, so you can follow along. We're going to be in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. While you're turning there, I'll give you a quick background of what's going on. I want to catch you up on where we're at. The fellow there in the center of the picture, his name is Peter, and he's been on an interesting journey with a lot of twists and turns with Jesus. It all began in his boat after he had been fishing and been unsuccessful. Jesus taught in his boat, and he told him to go fishing again. And amazingly, miraculously, he catches an amazing catch of fish. And from that moment on, Peter knows this guy is no ordinary guy. In fact, he knows that he's not like him. He's totally other than him. Jesus is holy. So Peter continues following him and sees things that are not typical of human beings like you and me. Later on, uh, Jesus comes into his house and he heals his mother-in-law from a fever. Soon, Jesus heals two guys who are blind. They're able to see. And then right before this story where we're at, Jesus is in the wilderness with 5,000 men and more people besides that, and miraculously, he provides enough to eat for everyone out of very little. That sets the stage for where we're at as Peter and the disciples are trying to figure out who is this guy, who is this man. So let's pick that up in verse 22. Follow along in the Bible in front of you, please. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you, a little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And that's God's word. This story had a lot of twists and turns in it. So let's unpack it with two very simple points this morning. Two keys for winning the path of life and eternity. I'll just give it away right from the beginning. Trust Jesus as Savior. That's where we're going with this story. You remember I told you right before this was the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sent them on the boats. He told them to go across the lake. By the way, it's six miles from where they're at to where they're supposed to go. He sends them across in the boat. He apparently has a way of getting across himself. And he goes up on the mountain To pray. Matthew doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying about. But I found it interesting. Some commentators think that Jesus was perhaps praying up the storm itself that they were about to walk into. And then the disciples were busy rowing. To make this point, said, and I need a little help from... Somebody, uh, I need someone in the 7 to 12 year olds, those are those who are with us in the service for the summer, we've got those kids with us, and I need someone who is strong, really strong, saying so, you have to be 7 through 12, all right, and let's try to do it, if you've been up here before, how about put your hand down so we kind of get everyone gets a chance, all right, okay, let's have you, buddy, remind me your name, Luke, I thought it was Luke. Okay, Luke, come on up here. All right. Luke, this is a rowing machine, and I'm going to show you how it works. Have you ever done one of these before? Okay. So you got to put your feet in here, strap them down good and snug, and then we are going to imagine what it was like being the disciples out in that storm. So I'm going to do it first so you get what to do. So we're strapped in. This is your rowing bar, and then you got to engage your core. That's what I was told earlier. And then you pull back like this. Oh, man, I've got on the hardest setting. Okay. And you just kind of go back like this. You want to give it a try? Okay, let's do it. Okay, get you strapped in there other foot yeah, it's kind of slides there okay, I'm going to give you this and now you're going to pull back good, now come forward yes awesome okay, 38 watts 49 watts 30 strokes per minute 40 strokes per minute okay now i got a question for you How long can you do this for? What's your guess? You don't have to be right. Two minutes maybe. Two minutes, okay. (laughs) How about you do a couple more strokes and then I'll send you back to the seat, okay? Show me your best strokes. Here we go. Yeah, let's get them, come on. All right, that's a minute of of, uh, rowing, good job. Hey, well done, Luke. Thank you. Thanks for being brave and coming up here. Here is your prize. We've got a little barrel of monkeys and uh, some Dairy Queen with, for your family. So thanks for coming up, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay. I knew you guys didn't know what rowing was, so I had to include that. So now you know what rowing is. Uh, Back to the story. Okay, disciples are rowing. Jesus is praying. The disciples are rowing. Let's talk about the timing that's going on here. It says that Jesus dismissed them and went up to pray, and it was evening when he was praying. So in uh, in Roman times, when they would keep track of time at night, they had four watches of the night. The first from 6 to 9 p.m., the second from 9 to midnight, the next one from um, midnight to 3, and the next from 3 to 6 in the morning. You guys got that? 6 to 6. So Jesus starts the whole thing 6 p.m. He's praying. He already sent disciples off. So they started rowing at 6 p.m. I told you earlier that it was six miles from where they were at to where they were headed. Now we know, because I did a little bit of the Bible research from looking at the book of Mark and John, that they were making painful headway, Mark chapter 6, John chapter 6, they had rowed about three or four miles. One more detail, it was the fourth watch of the night when they were at that point. point, fourth watch of the night, three in the morning, they started at 6 p.m., how long had they been rowing? How long? Not long. Tell me a number. At least nine hours, more or less. Luke here could do that for about two minutes. The disciples were experienced. They had been at it for nine hours. The disciples were at the end of the rope. They were good fishermen. They'd been on the sea before. They'd seen storms, but the rowing was getting tiring. Another detail you might not have thought about this. If the disciples had been rowing 6, 6 p.m. to 3 in the morning, they had not gotten any sleep. So they had basically pulled an all-nighter, like you've done for finals if you've been in college. They pulled an all-nighter, and they've been exercising the whole time, and it is super scary because the storm, this is a legit storm, bigger than the disciples have probably ever seen in their lives. So imagine their fatigue. Imagine how tired they are. How emotionally drained they are. And at this moment, they've got to be saying, Where is Jesus? Another important detail I didn't tell you. This is not the first storm that they've gone through together. This is the second storm they've gone through in the same Sea of Galilee. It happened in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus was with them. You remember this story, they'd had a busy day. Jesus was in the boat, he's sleeping, head on the cushion, and the disciples are freaking out because they're pretty sure they're going to die, and they ask him, Lord, don't you care we're going to die? Jesus gets up, perhaps groggy-eyed, I don't know, he speaks a word to the wind and the waves, calm as glass, and the whole point of that story was he looks to the disciples and says, why did you doubt? Well, you have little faith, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you trust me? So this is not the first storm they're in. This is not their first rodeo. You would think they would remember the whole goal. I want you to picture the contrast. Jesus is over here. He's up on the mountain. What is Jesus doing? He's praying. The disciples are over here. What are they not doing? They're not praying. They're rowing for nine hours. Mark or, um, Matthew doesn't tell us that they were praying. Why weren't they praying? They should have been looking out where's Jesus? We went through this before. We learned a lesson. We go through the storm. Trust Jesus. Look for Jesus. He will save you. This time it's different. He's not in the boat, but they should have been praying. They should have been looking to him. I remember experience I had that maybe I was trying to put myself in in the disciples' shoes because I found it's really easy to read the Bible and kind of criticize everyone. I'm like, oh man, why do they complain and grumble in the wilderness? I, mean, I hadn't had food for a few days, but here, yeah, I'm sitting in my lunch, nice. you know, it's really easy to criticize them, but the time I felt most like this, I remember I was a kid, I was your, your guys' age, you did VBS, and in Loveland, there used to be a water park called Crystal Rapids, and it's kind of like Waterworld Junior, and they had a wave pool, yeah, right, got some hand waves from the back, and they had, a, um, they had a wave pool, and I took swimming lessons, I did I did fine, and I got in the wave pool, but I had done many wave pools, so I got a little further out, and all of a sudden, the whistle blew, and someone was grabbing me, because I wasn't quite swimming well enough, and I remember feeling really embarrassed, just really shameful that they had to stop the whole wave machine, and somebody had to come in and get me, because I was drinking water when I should have been swimming, and um, I just remember the humility that there was. Like, I didn't even ask for help, but somebody came and saved me because I was drowning. Did Jesus allow Peter—back to the story, by the way, not Crystal Rapids. We're at the Sea of Galilee. Um, Did Jesus allow Peter then to walk on the water with him so Peter would have a super cool story to one-up everyone? Walked on the Sea of Galilee. How about you? Anybody else? Nope. Nope. Jesus allowed Peter the ability to walk on the water so that he could save him. Perhaps Jesus even prayed up the storm just so that they could get to that moment where they would see they needed him to save them. You remember what Peter said? Peter's out there, I don't know what it looked like, floating somehow, buoyant, and all he says is a few words, Lord, save me. Instantly, there's the hand, pulls him up save me was his his prayer peter should have been praying before that but that was his first prayer lord save me and he instantly saves him in one more detail jesus enters the boat and we know from another gospel that the moment he entered the boat the boat gets to the other side it makes it the full six miles so whereas they'd worked nine hours didn't get anywhere when jesus enters the scene he finishes the game for us it all's, it's all over This is pretty relatable, I think, to all of us, whether you're um, a follower of Jesus or not. Everyone here in the room, all of us, we're facing a storm right now. Might be a small storm. It might be a big storm in our lives. You've probably been surprised by some twists and turns. God is speaking to you through the Bible into your storm today, and he's telling you this. Will you trust God? Will you stop rowing, stop staring at the wind and the waves, and will you trust Jesus to save you from whatever's going on, whatever storm that you're in? Almost like last week, right? Then we have the crossing of the Red Sea? It's your salvation. Just be still. See the salvation of the Lord today. Just be still. Stop working. Stop fighting. Stop rowing. Let Jesus save you. But maybe in a bigger sense, for those of you here who would not consider yourselves a follower of Jesus, um, this story was a dress rehearsal for Peter. A dress rehearsal to trust his, his, his test him, to see if he'd trust Jesus as Savior. Because what happens later in the story is that Peter commits, he says, Jesus, I've, I'm going with you wherever you go. I am with you. I'm going to be your man. And the night Jesus was betrayed, then Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, I don't even know that guy. I don't know who you're talking about. And he feels horrible. He, he weeps bitterly. Jesus is taken to the cross where he is crucified as a savior. He's crucified as a sacrifice, as a substitute for sinners like Peter and like you and me. And Peter had to trust in Jesus as savior he met him later on, uh, later on, also in water. Seems like a theme for Jesus and Peter. And um, Jesus welcomes Peter after he's gone fishing, after they have a miraculous catch. Go figure. And instead of shunning him or shaming him or keeping him at a distance, he welcomes him in. He cooks breakfast for him. And he affirms that forgiveness for Peter as he tells him, Peter gets to tell Jesus three times, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Peter knows he's forgiven, and he becomes a rock for the church for the future. And so Peter had to trust that Jesus would be his savior, both in the water and from the waters of death, eternal death and physical death. So that's our first key from this story, is to trust Jesus as savior. But the next one we need to uh, recognize here, our second and last one, is to trust Jesus as Lord. Back to the stormy story. Jesus is walking on the sea. He's not doing this just to impress the disciples. Hey guys, I can do magic tricks, check this out. Jesus is very intentional. You remember, right before this was the feeding of the 5,000. Well, if you rewind back 1,400 years in history, God had rescued his people, Israel, from Exodus. We talked about this last week. And he parted the the Red Sea, right? And then he also provided for them in the wilderness. He fed multitudes in the wilderness. What happens in this story? Well, Jesus feeds the multitudes in the wilderness. And then Jesus cuts a path not through the water, but on top of the water for the sake of his disciples, Jesus is intentionally putting himself in the role of saying, hey, you see what God does? See what I do? Same thing, all right? Another hint that we have that Jesus is saying he's more than a man. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God. The words that he said on the water, he said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. That phrase, it is I, literally, he's saying, don't be afraid, I am. You guys probably recognize that phrase if you've been around the Bible. We talked about it last week. It's the personal name of God that he gave to his people when he freed them from their slavery. He said, I am, which is also Yahweh, or in some Bibles, it's capital L-O-R-D, Lord. So he's on the water, Yahweh. Do not be afraid, the Lord. He's very clearly saying who he is. Do not be afraid. It reminds us not only of I am, back from Exodus, but reminds us of the prophet Isaiah, who said, Fear not, for I am with you. This is God speaking. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus' words conveyed that he was God. His walking and his talking The only fitting response to seeing that this is more than a man is what the disciples did in the last verse. Check out verse 33 in your Bible where it says the disciples entered the boat and they worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God. Can a mere man feed the multitudes with nothing in the wilderness? Can a mere man walk on the water? Can a mere man raise from the dead? because that's exactly what Jesus did. After he was crucified on the third day, Jesus burst out of the grave, victorious over death and sin, and Peter himself got to see it as he went to the tomb, and he found it empty, and he was restored to Jesus. Jesus himself is God. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. He is no mere man. He's not just a prophet. He's none other than God himself. And so this story teaches us we need to trust Jesus as our Savior. We need to trust in him as Lord, meaning he's the king. He is the boss. He himself is no mere man, but none other than God himself. I think it's a good, maybe our theme verse is a good way to put this. You guys remember our theme verse? Kids, you got this? Tell it to me, kids. Good. Good. What's the path of the Lord? Here it is, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am, there it is again, Yahweh, Lord. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself is the path, and Jesus himself is the life. He's not just the means to get there. He is the goal. You get Jesus. Jesus is the way there. Jesus is the destination. He is the way to win the game of life. He is the end. And so right now, I'd like to encourage each one of us to make your move. Make your move in the real game of life. How are you going to respond to this? Do you ever struggle with doubts like Peter did? looking at the wind and the waves? Do you ever feel like you've messed up really big time, like more than God can handle, like Peter? Do you ever struggle with your sense of purpose in life? Why am I here? Or do you ever feel scared to die or wonder what happens next after you die? Then I have good news for you, and I'm going to use Isaiah 53.6 from the Colin Buchanan song, the CBS. It's not not saying that we all love sheep, because not all of us do like sheep. But all of us are like sheep in this sense that we've gone astray. Each one of us is, we're sinners. We've rebelled against God. We don't walk in God's ways. We don't honor him. We don't walk in his paths all the time. And so, God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of all of us. Jesus, as the Savior, took all the sin on himself, and he took it away as he died on the cross and as he rose from the grave. And so I'm going to use my little wristband. Kids, we use this this week. How many guys got your wristband? Yes, this is so good. All right, this is the gospel message here that we've been talking about. The first one is a crown. You might not be able to see it, and that reminds us that God is the king. God rules over all. He is the one who's worthy of our worship, and our obedience. But the problem is that we have sinned like sheep. We've gone astray. That's the second one with the X. Each one of us has earned death because of the sin that we've committed against God. But the good news is that God provided. He provided in his son Jesus who died on the cross. Who took our sins like I just said. And destroyed them and conquered death it- itself. And the next little icon is a gift. And that reminds us that Jesus gives. Jesus gives salvation to all of us who will listen freely. He doesn't want us to work for it. He doesn't want us working hard at the rowing machine of morality, trying to master life, trying to get as rich as we can, trying to be good enough for God. You'll never get across to make it to those heavenly shores if you do it that way. You can only get it, as a free gift that God provides as he reaches out his hand and grabs you. But in order to receive that, you do have to respond. And that's what the backside of the bracelet says. Admit, believe, and confess. Each one of us needs to admit that we are a sinner. We need to recognize, like Peter, man, I've blown it. I'm not good at following Jesus. I'm not a faithful follower of God. And so say, hey, I've blown it. I'm like a sheep. And then we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Good, you get to know the song. He's, uh, he's not just a mere man. He's not a good religious teacher, a good example to follow only. Jesus is none other than the Son of God. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. And then the last one, confess our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That means we declare that Jesus is our Savior. That's the cross. That he died for us. That we are sinners. But then, Jesus as Lord. What does it mean to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's the crown. That means we treat Jesus not as just another dude, but he's the king of our life. So if Jesus tells us to do something, we don't say, eh, I don't want to do it. We need to obey because he is the king, and he is the ruler of the universe, and he's the king of me. And so for me, I can tell you my moment came when I was at VBS as a kid. I was probably six or seven. And I remember sitting where you guys are at and there was someone talking on stage and he talked about what I'm talking about today. And I remember sitting there being like, I think I have some doubts about this. Well, lo and behold, my sister walks in front of me. She goes up and she prays to receive Jesus and becomes a Jesus follower before I do. But later that night, I talked to my parents, and they answered the questions that I had about following Jesus and about what I'm talking about. And I remember them saying that every time someone receives Jesus, the angels throw a party in heaven. And so I prayed to receive Jesus, like I just shared, and I remember just feeling ecstatic. I was on the deck in my backyard, I can picture right where I was at, and I just remember like jumping up and down. Just realizing what I discovered, what didn't make sense to me, um, you know, 12 hours earlier, all of a sudden came to light to me. And so, how about you? Will you make your move today? Will you confess your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord? His offer is not only for forgiveness or not only to have a nice life now, which is not so much what he offers, but he offers you himself forever, forever. It's like that feeling when it's a snow day, and you wake up and you realize you don't have any school to do, and there aren't any problems, there's lots of food, and you just get lost in the joy of a game with people that you love face-to-face with them, and it goes on forever, because he's not just the path, he's the destination. Jesus is our life. So I want to give you a chance to make your move. How about we all bow our heads in prayer, and... um, get a chance to make our move. Lord Jesus, we do just acknowledge you here as Savior and Lord. You're not just a man. You're the Son of God. You do the miraculous. You feed the multitudes. You walk on water. But most amazingly, you save sinners. And you make us into your children to enjoy you forever. Lord, I pray that you would use this week and even today to bring more people into your kingdom, And I want to speak to you here, if you feel like this week or today, what I'm saying makes sense, you feel like you want to put your trust in Jesus, you want to make your move, you want to confess that He is your Savior, He is your Lord. If that's the case, I want you, with everyone heads bowed, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me, either today or this week. I want Jesus to be my Savior, and I want Jesus to be my Lord that's you, You just put your hand up to the side. That's awesome. I see your hands. Thank you. All right. Now, I also, with your hand, keep your hands up. I also want any of you who feel like I want to, I've got a storm in my life, and I want to trust that Jesus is going to carry me through this storm. You don't have to say what it is, but just as a demonstration of your faith that Jesus is going to carry you through that, I just want you to slip up your hand that you're going to trust that Jesus will carry you through this storm. Put your hand up if you want that, if you want Jesus to help you. Excellent. I see your hands. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless each one of these decisions of faith today, both for those who are trusting you just with a storm in life right now. I pray that you would increase their trust, help them to know that you are with them and that they ought not be afraid. Lord, for any of those who rose their hand and say, today I am making Jesus my Savior and Lord, we pray that you would bless this new salvation that they've experienced, that you would protect them from the evil one, you'd make them mighty in the kingdom of God, um, and help them to grow in their understanding of their faith in Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful morning. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, okay, for all of you that did raise your hand and say, today was the day I wanted to trust in Jesus, I want you to talk either with the person next to you or if you don't have someone next to you, look for someone who's wearing one of these shirts and let's talk about the decision that you just made, all right?